For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what we believed. Can you please stand for the gospel? The gospel is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10 and 16 to 20. And at the end, after I say this is the gospel of the Lord, please can you respond, praise to you, O Christ. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Heavenly Father, on this most holy day, on this Easter day, we pray you will open our minds and hearts to your word, but most especially to the presence of the risen Christ amongst us. Amen. Please sit down. Thank you, Simon, for reading. Uh, Thank you also today especially to Ellie, uh, our organist, Ellie Carter, Uh, She's prepared several things, especially for us today, the piece at the beginning of the service, which uh, got a little bit lost in our conversation, but there'll be another piece during uh, administration of communion and another piece at the end of the service. Uh, Do uh, listen to that and enjoy that, and thank you, Ellie, for your uh, strong and vibrant leading of our our hymns and worship. This morning, really, I, I want to just reiterate some basics. I really want to just lay out for us all some fundamental things. Has anything like the resurrection of Jesus happened on our planet before or since? Christians do not think so. That's the place to start. We are talking today about something which we understand to be utterly and completely unique, unprecedented, and with nothing in subsequent human history like it. This is the day when Christians say several impossible things before breakfast. Let's be clear what we are trying to uh, own for ourselves and express to the world. This is the day when we say human history turned a corner. This is the day when we say actually the human story changed its nature, character, and direction. It had new hope, new purpose, and new destiny. So what we do this morning, and I trust the spirit of enjoyment and pleasure in each other's company and celebration of Easter continues through our service, is actually not just for us and not just private and for this place, not even for Christians across the world, but actually for the whole planet and for the whole of God's creation. We need to get that in place, first of all. We're not talking about anything private. We're talking about a change of direction for the whole of humanity and the whole of creation. Good Friday ends with a broken body and an empty cross as Jesus is laid in a tomb. Easter Sunday begins with an empty tomb. 
those dramatic events that Matthew records there about earthquakes and, and so on, are not actually a description of the resurrection. They are not opening the tomb so that Jesus can uh, come forth. They are opening the tomb so that the women can go in. They are opening the tomb so that they can begin to encounter the reality of resurrection. The accounts we have are bewildering. The accounts we have are not easy to stitch together into one utterly coherent account. They are the most extraordinary collection of stories. They are characterized by bewilderment, lots of running. Did you ever see so much running taking place here and there? Excitement, confusion, even fear. There's no attempt to tidy them up emotionally. There's no attempt to make the disciples' responses uh, coherent and sensible. It's about confusion, bewilderment, and fear. Mark's Gospel, which may have lost its original uh, ending, we're not quite sure, um, actually finishes in, in English with the word fear. These stories are, are strange in another way too. The, the gospel stories on the whole are full of Old Testament reference, full of uh, Old Testament connection. The resurrection stories have almost no Old Testament resonance about them. They are startlingly new, startlingly fresh and different. You might almost call them raw. What they have in common is an empty tomb and a missing body. Many appearances, and uh, the passage from Corinthians, which uh, Simon read for us, uh, is earlier than our Gospel accounts and records many, many of these encounters and appearances. And they are coherent in this, that they describe resurrection, not the resuscitation of a dead body, neither something that's spiritual and otherworldly, but something which actually brings all that together in an utterly unique way. It is a physical resurrection. Jesus is physically present. There is no body to be found then or now in Palestine. But it is also in some extraordinary way transformed. It belongs to this world, but it is beyond this world as well. It is the crucified Jesus. It is the wounded and battered body of Jesus which is raised from the dead and transformed into resurrection life. And all of this, if you will forgive me, is entrusted to women in the first place. Uh, in the first century, not trusted as witnesses, not trusted in a court of law, and in the bewilderment and chaos of the stories, the, there is no attempt to hide that, change it, correct it, or anything else. These extraordinary events were first made known to women in Jesus' entourage. That's, this is what we're talking about. And this is what we are celebrating today. What does it all signify? What is it, what's it all about? It's about, first of all, the vindication of the man on the cross. It is, first of all, a vindication of who he was, who he claimed to be, and of the significance of what happened on the cross. 
It is a statement that all that we know about Jesus of Nazareth is in one way or another a God event. It is in some way or another God's intervention and participation in human history. And the resurrection vindicates the whole story so that we have to attend to it. We have to see what sense it may make. This was not just one more brutal execution. It was a unique event. It's the vindication of the man on the cross. It also demonstrates the victory of the man on the cross. At this point, I ran out of headings beginning with V. You'd be surprised how few relevant words there are. But anyway, vindication and victory. It demonstrates the victory of the man on the cross. That apparent defeat, which on Good Friday we try to look in the face. On Good Friday we try to look in the face of the man going right to the deepest places of human suffering and of death and of extinction. But the resurrection demonstrates to us that that apparent defeat was in fact the most profound victory to have taken place in human history because there, the one who is both man and God went to the very bottom and beyond of all that satanic power and the power of evil and the fear of death could do to, in human life. He carried all that we are in our humanity and all that we are in our brokenness to that place and demonstrated that the justice love of God was deeper still. Thirdly, his resurrection in time and space indicates that this world is, continues to be the scene of God's saving power. It is not a spiritual experience it is not ethereal. It does not belong to some other place. The resurrection takes place in human history and is part of the human story and indicates that God's purpose is for the healing and renewal and resurrection of his entire creation. Christians have sometimes lost, lost view of that and turned the resurrection and its significance into... Uh, an, ex, uh, an exclusively spiritual event uh, and the world itself has no future. Our world has future because it is loved by the, the creator God and it will take part in the resurrection into which Jesus has already entered as the first fruits. His resurrected life and presence is here in human society and it is the dawning of hope for our world. Fourthly, it is the guarantee of our resurrection. It is the guarantee that we ourselves will participate in God's new beginning in resurrection life and that we are part of God's future story for his world. And fifthly, it brings about a new community marked by worship and witness, worship and mission. Let me just pause a little longer on those on that last point. Nearly all the resurrection accounts, I think just barring Mark's gospel, which may not have its 
final version available to us now. All the resurrection accounts are about mission. They are all about a message and a reality that needs to be communicated to the world. They are all about telling the news and announcing the new beginning. It happened twice in the, in the passage we, we read there. First of all, the women encounter the risen Christ, they worship, and they are told to go and tell the disciples. So this, that, that pattern is, is deeply embedded in, in Matthew, as we'll see in a moment. Encountering Jesus, worshipping Jesus, being commissioned to tell the news of his resurrected life. And at the end of the story, we have the disciples themselves encountering Jesus, worshipping him, and the Great Commission follows that. It's true in John's Gospel as well, where Christ appears on uh, resurrection evening, Easter evening. He breathes the Holy Spirit upon them and says, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you. And so throughout the resurrection appearances is the reality of worship and the call to witness and mission. It's really important that we, we don't lose that. Those things are intentionally connected in the accounts we have. Let's just pause a little bit on Matthew's gospel. Um, Matthew bookends his, uh, his gospel in this way. This is where I slip in the Magi yet again, um, to no one's surprise. Matthew's gospel begins and finishes. It's bookended by the connection of worship and mission. The story of the Magi, Matthew's big opening story, is a story of how God's love is reaching out beyond its traditional frontiers and bringing in the total outsiders who have no history with it, no expectation, but God's love extends to them. And they are the one ones who are called and brought. And they are the ones who, how little they know what they are doing, worship first the Christ child. Matthew's Gospel begins with that twinning of worship and mission. And it ends here with worship and mission as well. It ends with the story of the women and then of the disciples being brought to a place of worship of the risen Christ as the one who is God's purpose in love for all the human race. And it concludes with the Great Commission. Matthew finishes his gospel with an odd phrase. I wonder if you picked it up. And some doubted. And some doubted. How could you possibly doubt caught up in events of this kind? Well, perhaps as Christian disciples and followers, we know only too well how doubt can be a continuing part of our walk and our life, even at the most uh, extraordinary moments. Uh, In all the Gospels, uh, but especially in Matthew, the vulnerability of the disciples to doubt is emphasized along the way. And right here at the end, we have the disciples meeting the risen Lord, worshipping him, and still being afflicted by doubt. And then follows the Great Commission. Worship, doubt, mission. I think it's a really significant thing, and I think it's a really important thing, and I think it's a really heartening and encouraging thing. What it tells us is that you don't have to have perfect, transparent, 
crystal clear faith in order to be involved with the risen Lord, to walk his way, to worship, and to be involved in mission. In fact, you take your doubts on the road with you. And it is on the road, it is in the way of witness, it is in sharing our faith, it is in uh, building the kingdom, it is in all these ways that doubt is addressed, faith is built, and we continue to grow in our discipleship of Jesus. I think this is a precious little addition to the story here. They worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus says to all of them, I send you out now to preach the gospel to all creation. And I think the place to end today is with something I noticed this morning. Our Archbishop, Archbishop Justin, is preaching in Canterbury this morning, and he is taking as his resurrection Easter Day theme the experience of the persecuted church around the world. And uh, it will be an interesting sermon to uh, read up later. But I think that's a good place to, to, to finish for this morning. For all of us, worship, doubt, mission into God's world with the gospel, making disciples is our calling. And for many people, for all of us, that's about martyrdom. The word martyr is about bearing witness in word and with our very lives. And for us, mostly, it doesn't include the latter. But on this day, as we celebrate the most significant event in human history, one in which the human story turns a corner and sets off in a new direction, a direction of hope, uh, and it's a story into which we are called, as we are, faith and doubt and worship all mixed up together to participate in God's new beginning. Let's remember, stand with, and pray for brothers and sisters for whom it's profoundly costly. Amen. Let's just take a moment of quietness, and then we will stand to say the creed in just a moment. Let's stand and say together the Apostles' Creed. Together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Leslie.